Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Event Tech Talk Show um, with your host, myself, Adam Parry. We are now on episode 17 and before I introduce today's topic and my guest, um, I need to remind you obviously that coming up in just under five weeks time is Event Tech Live London. Um, it's going to be a full week of hybrid event tech and um, we'll be bringing you a fi- full five days of digital sessions, roundtables and speed networking combined with our traditional two days across the 3rd and 4th of November at the Old Truman Brewery. And honestly, it's been a long time. It's been, what, nearly two years since we've been able to bring Event Tech Live back as a physical event. Myself and the rest of the team are really excited on welcoming you back to the Old Truman Brewery. If you've not already registered, you can do so for free at eventtechlive.com forward slash London. Um, and all of our commitments to keeping you safe from a COVID perspective are all on there um, as well. So you can check those out, what's expected, what everybody will be expected to do to make sure you feel comfortable and safe coming to the two physical days. If you've also missed any of the past episodes of the Event Tech Talk Show, which there are 16 of now, you can go to eventtechtalks.com. That will take you direct to our site where the back archive of topics and guests are. Um, And you can also obviously tune in and listen on all of your favorite um, podcast apps. So Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, the list is the list is ended in Pandora, etc., etc., etc. So do download those, listen to them while you are washing the parts, taking the kids to school, uh, maybe at the gym, and also tweet us if you have any comments or thoughts on any of those episodes. So on today's episode, um, I am joined by Yan Yap, the founder of Masters in Moderation, and also an event tech founder himself of an engagement app called Consent IQ, which I'm sure he'll tell us to, uh, come to tell us more about. And today's topic is top engagement ticks from a master in moderation. So, JJ, hey. as you are better known, welcome to today's episode. Thank you for joining me, mate. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really looking forward to this, and I'm really looking forward. You were talking about event tech life. I am really, really, really looking forward to a room full of people and hugging everyone like mad, like a madman. <laughs> it's it seems almost surreal to think that yeah. it's been two years nearly before yeah. I've seen everybody in that room. I went to Convex recently, and it was just such a. An exciting experience. I never thought I'd say that about a trade show, even though I, I organized one. Um, but it was so kind of slightly strange at the same time. It's like my body and my mind forgot how to socialize on, on live scales. Have you have you been to any physical events yourself yet? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have, and it is uh, as you say. It's it's both uh, uh, thrilling and and a tiny bit scary in some some respects. Yeah, we lost our our uh, capability to to uh, to touch each other uh, both physically and mentally. <laughs> I think I think it is. It's like a it's probably like any exercise, isn't it? Like when you get out of the habit of it, yeah. Um, yeah. You need a little bit of refreshment, and maybe needs to take a little bit of time for the mind yeah. and the body to get get reengaged. Absolutely. I'm sure. I'm sure everybody will be back to normal within within weeks or months of, of getting back to the first physical yeah. events but that being said it's something that uh, I'm sure many are and we're certainly mindful of is that if event tech live is somebody's first live event back 
we still have to make sure that they feel safe and yeah. comfortable, um, yeah. which is why I mentioned the the, the COVID commitment yeah. we've made to our attendees and, and, and yourself included. Um, yeah. But before we get into the, the topic of all of your top tips, can you mm-hmm. just give us a bit of an overview of how you got started in the events industry, what you what you did before COVID, how you launched Consent IQ? I know there's a lot in there, so so by all yeah. means, kind of divide it up well, how well, you see I'll, fit. I'll, I'll try to give you the short management summary. Um, I used to be a long time ago, 25 years ago or something, I used to be a, a director and scriptwriter for commissioned movies. Um, and at some point I ended up on a stage by accident, uh, for a client, I made some, some, uh, some company clips and they asked me, would you like to host the meeting that you made the clip for as well? Uh, and then I ended up on stage and I found out that I really loved it. Uh, and I, I had a good connection with an audience. So from there on, it, it kind of started. And for a few years, I was a freelance moderator. Uh, and then decided that I wanted to found this moderator agency because as a freelancer, I said yes to anything. Um, And at some point when I looked at other moderators, I thought, hey, I'm good at this part of the profession and maybe somebody else is better at another part of the profession because it's a very wide range profession. Uh, So then I started my agency, Masters in Moderation, uh, which now has roughly... Uh, 50 moderators that we send all over the world. Uh, um, Well, later on, we dived into the meeting design because when you're on stage a lot, you see what works and what doesn't. So we started designing the interaction. Uh, From designing the interaction came uh, uh, teaching other people to design interaction and to be a moderator. And the final step was uh, uh, two years ago, uh, the launch of Consens IQ, our dialogue tool, uh, because we found that uh, in many cases there were tools out there that helped us. And in some cases, we, we were kind of looking for a tool that wasn't there yet. So we decided to develop it. I love your story, mate. I think first and foremost, it's just like many other people's um first foray into the events industry is kind of like they're roped into it that you you fall into it don't you in many there's so many of our industry professionals that um i guess never set out to to really become part of the events industry but it kind of gets a a hold on you doesn't it It gets a grab on you yeah yeah. and i think also um just on the training side of things um certainly over the last 18 months there's been lots of people thrust into this environment now which is kind of speaking um not even to a to an audience in in front of them but virtually and that's a very different thing as well isn't it to, to maybe speaking in front of an audience in in well, um, in person the, the the thing is yes it is different because um the technology the the medium is is different um but the basic rules are still the same there, there are some basic rules uh, in moderation that apply both for uh, on stage as for online. So if you keep those basic rules in mind and then adapt them to the new environment, then the step is not as big as some people think it might be. Um, um, it's common sense, basically. So would, would you mind sharing some of those rules with us? Because 
I'm relatively, well, I say I'm relatively new. I've done moderation for, for a number of years, but by no means do I think I'm an expert. And I'm sure there's many people who either they either want to get into it or they want to make sure that they're choosing the right person to do it. Yeah, well, the, the, the two probably uh, most important basic rules are first, everyone wants to be seen, loved and heard. So you need to find a way to make people feel like you're reaching out to them on a personal level and interaction and interaction formats, etc., are a really brilliant way to making mm. people feel uh, comfortable and seen and, and, and loved. And, um, and the other thing is you need to make a temporary tribe. Um, and um, I mean, in a physical environment, the temporary tribe almost automatically is there because you walk into a room and there's a set of people there and it's quite easy to make people feel part of that group. Online, there, there's a bigger step to take because everyone is at home being an individual. Um, so online, we are doing the extra efforts mm. to make the people feel like they are part of a group. Um, and if, if you obey by those two rules, that's a good starting point for any great moderation. So do you have any any extra tips there about getting people that are viewing content remotely, that are engaging with a with a with something digitally? Because mm -hmm. there's some tricks of the trade. I know when you're in a physical environment, there's things, there's there's those little icebreaker tips, there's those things that you can get the the audience switched on, right? But actually yeah. from a from a digital perspective. It can almost feel like those people are in isolation and they're not part of a bigger group, so therefore are less likely to engage. That's what my experience yeah. is. Yeah. So what advice would you give there, JJ? Uh, the thing is, um, start early. If you want interaction, start with it right away. Um, so as to, to coach to people that this will be an interactive uh, uh, session, um, start uh, uh, small. Uh, don't ask them for the meaning of life right away. Start with little questions. Uh, and then constantly show people that you actually notice them. Mm -hmm. So when questions start coming in to the chat, for instance, or you ask a question and you want responses in the chat, um, mention a lot of names, mention a lot of reactions. Because if we are in a group of 500 and I say, hey, there's a response from Adam coming in. Thank you, Adam, uh, for saying this and this. In everybody's mind, there will be this process where people think, hey, he noticed Adam. So probably when I would enter something in the chat, he would notice me. Um, yeah. so that kind of, kind of makes people uh, feel like they are connected to you. It's, it's really interesting you mentioned that because it brings back a vivid memory, memory of mine of my early clubbing days. And there was a particular <laughs> venue in Sheffield, which is my hometown, called yeah. Lead Mill. And they had these screens around the outside up kind of on the walls. Yeah. And the way that you got a message on that was to text a number, cost you mm -hmm. like 20p or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you got your name and a little message as long as it was kind of approved. Yeah. And you'd see kind of one or two messages kind of kick up at the start of the evening. And then as the hours went past, it was just like floods and floods of people. 
engaging in that way and almost also replying to each other in this digital environment. And that yeah. was like, I'm going to show the age now, but that was like and, and over that, 15 that's, years that, 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 And that's something I do when using the chat, for instance. If I see a response by one person, sometimes I isolate that response and I say, hey, there's something interesting here. Hmm. Uh, 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 Mark from whatever where it says this. Could you please all respond to Mark? And then people will start responding to him. And then I will pick out one response to Mark and say, hey, this is the opposite idea. Could anyone please say what they think about this argument? Hmm. And then, I mean, online it takes more time and it's more, uh, it's harder work. Um, I, I've been moderating one session once and there was a one minute delay between me and the participants. Wow. So that is really, that is really hard work. But if you keep it up as a moderator and constantly show the way, then people will follow. And then in the end, everyone will feel connected to each other, even if they don't see each other. Mm. I mean, mm. we, we have some sort of visual eye contact. We do. Um, but if there's 800 people there, um, in many cases, you don't see them all on screen. And if you do, they're, they're tiny, tiny, so you can't see the facial expressions. But you can read a group by simply reading the chat and, and making people uh, um, um, respond to what you say and then respond back. So it, it's it's interesting. And um, I think I think it's it's going to take lots of our industry a lot of time, not a lot of time, but a fair amount of time to figure how this sits in this new hybrid world, right? Yeah. Um, because arguably over the last 18 months, we've only had virtual or digital audiences. And now we've got to cater for two. Yeah. Do you do you do you see a period where how do you see that working out? Because some might not some, but the first thing that comes to my mind is: should we have two moderators? Should we have a digital moderator and a physical moderator? Should they be treated as independent? How does that crossover? Should the should the moderators interact with each other to bring the audience together? What are your what are your thoughts on that? And I know I'm kind of throwing this at you, but I'm really yeah. interested to see well, from your perspective what you you see that connection being yeah. between digital and live audiences. Yeah. Well, I, yes, I, I think you should uh, specifically design for uh, both kinds of uh, participants. There's physical mm -hmm. participants there who uh, for, for partly have a, a different need than the online participants. Uh, so you should design for both, uh, making sure that when they need to meet that you design for a way for them to meet each other. Uh, but at some parts in the program, you can split the two up and, and have separate programs. Um, and, and when doing that, yes, it would be advisable to have two moderators um, um, where the two and, and the two moderators could meet every now and then and report back to each other. And you could play with that. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, Kind of diving into the options. Um, I, I work a lot with smaller, uh, smaller groups. So with a room full of people, I like to split them up in smaller groups. Um, I'm really looking forward to trying what will happen if those groups will partly be physical and partly remote, so mm -hmm. that there will be tables with three monitors uh, and three seats, and then seeing what happens. And in some cases, you will you will split. You will have fully uh, uh, physical tables and fully online, let's call it tables. And in other cases, you will uh, uh, you will mix them. 
um, maybe there will be occasions where when you enter the venue, you will be handed a, a device and on that device is another participant who is remote and you will be traveling together uh, all day. I, I love that idea, like a, a, a digital buddy or a, or a physical yeah. buddy, like buddying up systems. And I, I love buddying up systems. I think um, especially for people that are attending events in a new environment, it's maybe the first yeah. time they've been to the event. Um, yeah. What greater yeah. way to get somebody up to speed than to buddy them, buddy them up? And as yeah. you quite rightly made out, like why not in a physical and digital world, you know, can the physical person kind of tell the story to the digital from that perspective yeah. and vice versa? There might be things yeah. online that yeah. that physical person's not interacting with or, or maybe they've been able to to kind of find interesting speakers content that they think they should go and check out together in that way. I, I love, I love that idea. Maybe would, like you say, we'll be all given iPads and here is your, here is your digital twin um, yeah. for the event yeah. kind of thing. And, and I mean, I mean, we are designers. So, so we know that in some cases it will work and in many cases it won't. And um, so hybrid will sometimes mean completely separating uh, life and, 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 and online and other in other cases completely integrated and any option in between yeah that's that's it it, it will be an, a, an interesting period again i mean i cannot remember any year for a long long time that i've learned as much as last year um and i think for the upcoming one or two years we will constantly be learning and and experimenting and um well, the, the reason is is maybe negative. Um, we have a problem in the world, but the outcome is partly positive. We are all um, 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 driven to 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 learn again and to to find new stuff again, and that's that's really great. That to me, that brings energy. Yeah, I think um, the silver lining of the pandemic and and this is a very thin silver lining because it's yeah. it's been a terrible thing what's there, happened yeah, absolutely. um but i think it gave us the freedom as an industry to rip up the rule book and try new things and fail fail yeah. fast fail forward yeah, um absolutely. you know sometimes that's been a technology aspect sometimes that's been budget it's been bandwidth it's been staff there's there's elements of lots of different things that have maybe not meant that an event is what somebody set it out to be. Yeah. But our attendees are learning at the same time. Our sponsors are learning at the same time. So it's been yeah. a huge, huge iterative um, process and, and a huge learning opportunity, I think, for everybody. Yeah. But yeah. it does feel like you've just said, it feels like the tip of the iceberg a little bit. And maybe over the next couple of years, we'll see more yeah. ideas and technology platforms, I'm sure, will iterate themselves and come up with new yeah. meaningful ways for people to connect or new tools and yeah. technology. And then people will maybe reevaluate their physical elements as well. What's the what's the key? I know many I'm speaking to are kind of talking about splitting the two elements out. So more of the learning and the content absorption and things like that yeah. happens around the physical event. And the physical event yeah. is more focused on that human yeah. connection of, yeah. of people to people, yeah. face to face. Well, and, yeah. well, and the, the, the interesting thing is that um, um, as soon as we were forced into this digital world, uh, meeting design became completely normal. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. in the old world, uh, I had to moderate and our moderators had to moderate a lot of meetings that in all honesty were just kind of 
thrown together. We just we do it like we do it every year, and we just get in a speaker. Why that speaker? Well, somebody told us he is great. Um, so um, and by going digital, all of a sudden, clients said to us, "We need to um, thoroughly think through the program." And then I thought, yes, but wasn't that the case already when we were uh, live? No, to be honest, in many cases, it wasn't. So I think that now going back to, to live or to hybrids coming from the digital world, I think the design part will be, ta be taken more seriously than it was before. I, I think you're right, JJ. I think it has to be because in a digital world, there's the ability to capture a huge amount more audience and, and user base and attendees and things like that. But let's be honest, I think everybody around the world is also very fickle with their time online. If yeah. it's not hitting the right points, yeah. they're, they're gone and yeah. they're gone. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is a problem that plagues the, the, the SaaS, the technology side of things of yeah. lots of hype around something and lots of user adoption yeah. and then a huge crash. When there's yeah. not there's not enough in intelligent design and cognitive design around to keep yeah. people coming back, um, yeah, some platforms have that have that down to a T. Like I guess like TikTok and YouTube and, and those kind mm. of platforms. But we need to kind yeah. of understand where we sit, especially yeah. I think in event yeah. design. So, do you do you see any key kind of like event design trends then coming out from the events that you're working with, e even over the short term? Uh, that's 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 so hard to say because I have no clue where we are going. Uh, things <laughs> are changing by the day, and the options are endless. So um, I, I I do not feel a, a, enough of a guru to say this is the direction we will be going. I, I, the only thing is I think that we we have been talking about participant centric uh, mm. uh, design for many years. And I think this will be the time that it will actually happen. Um, um, in all honesty, if you look at moderators, at speakers, at any content providers, uh, they are just the means to an end. It is um, um, about the participants. And in the past, we just said it a lot. And now we actually do it, I think, or start doing it. I. Um, I really like that. I think you're right. Thinking about it myself, we've we've talked about like the unconference model or the user generated model yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Digitally, actually, we've, we're much more able to engage people remotely through a longer period of time to say, okay, you know, these are, I don't know, let's say 12 speakers. Yeah. Out of all the attendees, what would you like? What, what are your top five? And then that becomes the agenda for the event. Yeah. So the the attendees yeah. are involved in the content yeah. selection process and things yeah. like that. And um, and and um, once the content is selected, uh, then you online you you can better allow people to cherry pick. Mm -hmm. um, um, our, our idea in the past was people come in at nine o'clock in the morning, they leave at five in the afternoon, and they have to stay in that room for the full day. Why? Why on earth's sake do you lock somebody up for a full day if there's only two parts in the program that are really of interest to that person? And yeah. online, the great thing is I can log in when uh, the speaker of interest is on and then log out again and come back later. I think if you, if you uh, translate this to, uh, to the physical meetings, 
we will have to start thinking about um, ways to allow people to cherry pick and spend the rest of the day uh, uh, usefully otherwise. So there should be areas where people can work, for instance, so that they still travel to the conference. But if there's a period of one and a half hour that's not directly interesting to them, they can just go out to uh, uh, small areas where they can work, where they can even do maybe online uh, uh, smaller meetings with people so that, that we constantly uh, allow people to choose between physical online. Do I want to be there or do I want to be there? Yeah. So maybe um, we'll see like a... Uh, I'm going to use WeWork because it's the it's the thing that everybody knows about the co-working spaces, very flexible, yeah. but still private enough to be able to kind of have conversations with customers, yeah. clients, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So maybe yeah. as part of the event design, we'll see these like bolt-on hub offices to as part of the event design as part of yeah. the attraction of the event, you know, as, as much as the other exciting features that an event might do yeah. to kind Absolutely. of get people to say, Hey, actually, yeah, I can go to this event and I've got four hours here for content. I need an hour yeah. here for, for, for zoom calls. And then I'm yeah. back to the networking. I, I yeah. think you're right. Rather than going, I think traditionally most people have probably either gone off site or maybe gone back to the hotel or yeah. so they're, yeah. they're totally away from the event. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a pity. Keep them there. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think even more so to that work element, um, I think the ability for teams within companies to be able to attend together, whether they be digitally or physically, will be ever more important as well. Because it strikes me that many, many people within companies might not necessarily get to go to a physical event because of the cost, because of the amount of bandwidth that then kind of gets taken outside of a company. Yeah. But hey, if they can if they can attend together in whatever capacity, but have a shared experience from an event yeah. design perspective, yeah. that to me makes a really powerful um, yeah. objective for for events to be learning and development yeah. environments and to well, be and, you know, connected. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, p- part of my job as a moderator is uh, part is opening people up for something. The next speaker, the next interaction, uh, etc., uh, uh, opening up. But but a part that is uh, very much um, um, not taken care of is digesting. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I do mainly uh, content-driven uh, uh, events, uh, conferences, congress, etc., um, and we stuff people with information, um, and we give them no time to to swallow and digest. And what I would really love is to have a part in a program where you say, okay, you are, digi- uh, you are uh, physically here, but you've now learned something and maybe you want to discuss this with your team. We have now planned for 20 minutes where everyone can have a Zoom call with their team mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to directly talk about what we've been discussing here for the past hour. So that there's an immediately immediate uh, uh, transition from the learning in that conference room to uh, the place where it actually is needed that information. It's very interesting you say that because over this last eighteen months, I've been doing research into kind of mm-hmm. learning and learning patterns. There's yeah. actually a Japanese word which I, it it it, it escapes me now. It's something like omisuku or something like this mm-hmm. which 
the definition of that I've probably butchered that so anybody watching this or listening to this on demand I'll I'll kind of put it in the in the show notes to to make better yeah. sense of it but essentially what that means in definition is that within a certain period of time i.e. 48 hours or 7 days I can't remember which one it yeah. is we we lose 70% of the information that we've taken on board so we need yeah. better systems and better processes in order to retain that information. And I think your point's really valid right there is that most of the time we attend events as individuals or maybe as as, as colleagues and stuff. Yep. It's hugely amounts of intense kind of download of information. It's, it's bucket yep. loads, isn't it? But yep. then there's not really any time to kind of break away and actually digest that, have conversations yep. around it, expand yep. on those ideas. Yep. But maybe even technology can play a role in that. Maybe part of what we'll see as event tech or engagement tech will be yeah. the tools in order for people to kind of dissect those ideas and make actionable points to them. What's Absolutely. relevant out of this hour session? Yeah. What are the five key takeaways for me? Yeah. And yeah. how am I going to progress that? Uh, it's yeah. really interesting you you mentioned that because that's something that I've been looking into over the last 18 months. And yeah. events I mean, are great at disseminating information, but not necessarily great at supporting people actually making good use of that information after yeah, the event. And that's the whole point. I mean, if you give people information, but they don't use the information or the learnings or the new insights, then it was all futile because mm -hmm. it was useless. It, yeah. it, it only is useful if people actually do something with what they've learned or seen or, or, or et cetera. Yeah. What about, just to bring it back for those engagement tips then, JJ, what about speakers, individual people who are, you know, they're presenting on behalf of a company or they've been mm -hmm. invited into, they, they, yeah. they're really passionate about a subject matter and they, they want to share that with the world. Yeah. Like, is there other things that speakers as individuals can do to make their um, kind of platform for speaking more engagement are there should they be you know should they be using technology should that be part of speaking at event is a request to the organizer hey what engagement tools are you using what's your what's yeah. your thoughts there yeah because i mean um uh, as i often say if speakers would do the, do their job right uh, i would be out of business <laughs> okay maybe no no tips for those guys <laughs> no, 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 that, that, that would be perfectly fine with me and i wouldn't be completely out of business but uh speakers can can make a better impact if they interact and engage mm -hmm. uh, instead of just throwing your story out there make sure that it arrives at the people listening to it and that means do not only tell people what you think, ask people what they want to know. Mm. Um, um, make stories around what those people um, 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 find themselves in their daily lives. I mean, for instance, um, if you have a problem at work, if then, if then a speaker comes in and starts talking in general about his ideas, there's no connection. But if that speaker would ask you, what is your specific problem? And then you would explain it to that speaker. Then the speaker could say, ah, in that case, um, what you could do is this and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. It would be the same information, but it would be handed to you in a format that appeals to you directly. So what I, what I often do as a moderator is have people talk, then ask the people in the room what their main problems are or their main ideas or their biggest questions or whatever, and then have a speaker 
speak after I did that. And then the speaker can say, like the gentleman in row four already said, this and this is a problem. Well, if you look at my screen, at my slide, you will see that I think, and then it becomes a human to human interaction instead of somebody just um, presenting a standardized story. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I really like, you know, presenters that come with diverging content so they get to yeah. a certain point in their their speech their presentation and they they bounce that over to the audience and say hey so we can now go this way yeah. or we can go this way yeah. or maybe it's around that you know they're using other elements of engagement technology like polls or or the questions to kind of sense to where yeah. next take the to yeah. the point but what strikes me about those individuals is that they actually don't feel the pressure to rush to the end. They take the time to pause at certain points through their through their session to give people the chance to yeah. decide on you know yeah. how they're going to engage, what they're how they're going to respond. Yeah. Use other things like video, you know, short video clips. We say, hey, listen, we're going to watch a short video clip now, and I'm going to ask you a question at the end, and I want you yeah. to think, and, and you know, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question now and show you a video clip, and I want yeah. you to tell me what your your response is at the end. So yeah. that way, throughout it, becomes a much more. People yeah. have to do something. They don't have to, well, but they're more encouraged to. Should yeah. I say? Yeah, absolutely. And um, um, I, I prefer the um, uh, the term content provider over speaker, mm. Uh, mm. because if you say speaker, then there's only one thing that person can do: speak. Um, whereas uh, expertise provider or content provider opens up a whole. Uh, array of optional formats that you can use because you can provide content in very different ways apart from just opening your mouth and talking. Um, and and um, and what what also um, shows is great speakers always know why they are there. Uh, it's one of their main questions to the organizer: Why do you want me to be in your program? Why am I opening or why am I closing or why am I in the middle? Um, because, I mean, if you have an expert in any area, he could talk for four days. Um, so he needs to know why you want him there on that stage at that point in time in your program. Yeah. Um, and then he can choose and, and make a message specific for that target that you have for him or her. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting point that you make. And I, I, having my own experience of running Event Tech Live now for, for this will mm -hmm. be its ninth edition, I can probably count on two hands the number of times speakers have applied to speak or reached out and then taken the time to take that one step further and say, can, can I understand a little bit more about your audience? Yeah. You know, what's, you know, what job roles are they in? What, what are their main interest points and things like that and all of this data and information exists yeah. and we and we try and you know provide as much of that upfront as possible yeah. so there is a little element of that yeah. but yeah it's it's a really interesting point that you make there that not many speakers actually do reach out and say well, you know why am i have, here that they have their set of slides and they will bring it <laughs> and they will do basically the same thing they do always and and i mean and and engagement technology and engagement uh, interaction tools can really help uh, uh, on a stage to make that connection by simple questions to an audience, you can learn what they think and what they feel and what they want uh, and what they need. So um, um, the, the use of tools and technology, both on stage and online, 
um, is, is, is tremendously valuable, um, provided that you use the tools well. Um, and honestly, uh, that is not always the case. Um, so that, I guess that's a nice, really nice segue into, you know, why did you feel the need to launch launch your own engagement technology? Was it that you couldn't find something just right for you? I mean, you're the master in this. You have, you know, a huge amount of experience in, in yeah. I guess, both using these technologies and, and obviously moderating and speaking at events. So yeah. was there no perfect fit on there or did you just feel that you could take it to the next level? Well, a bit of both probably. Um, there is a, a, a shitload of tools out there. Uh, many many of them brilliant, uh, just as many of them rubbish. But if you if you look well, um, I mean, I love Slido, for instance, um, that which is a great tool, and I could name a few others. Um, and they do their what they do, they do it very well. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I started to to develop ConsensIQ is that I found that one particular part of what I do as a moderator was not in uh, technology. So I couldn't find a tool or an app that did specifically that. Because if you if you look at the, the, uh, the voting tools, um, um, Slido, Mentimeter, et cetera, uh, basically what they do is they ask a question, everyone gives an answer, that's it. Mm. And in many cases, that's enough. What I wanted was a tool that would allow audiences to uh, uh, have doubt, to have progressing insights, to talk to each other, learn, and then reevaluate what they thought before. So I needed a tool that would uh, uh, um, that would uh, help in in getting deeper dialogue. Um, and I wanted a tool that was from the start designed to be a combination of human to human interaction and the tool, because that's, that's something I see a lot with, with technology. Uh, the technology is used as a separate thing. And then people dive into that technology and they forget that they are together with other human beings because everything goes into the technology. And quite logically, when you ask people to vote on their mobiles all day, when they then go to the networking area to lunch, their brain is so um, um, coded on doing everything in here that the step to throwing the mobile away and interacting with humans again um, um, becomes harder. And um, technology has pros, but human to human interaction has pros too. So I constantly, as a moderator, I always want to combine it. I will never use uh, 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 tools and apps standalone. I will always combine it with human to human interaction and the other way around. So ConsentiQ was uh, designed from the bottom up to be a constant interchange between talking in groups, Mm -hmm. Talking plenary, voting, voting, looking at it, talking to each other about the outcome of the votes, re-evaluating what you think uh, as a process. And um, that was something that I did not find in the market, did not find in the market yet. Uh, and that is something that I wanted to design because as a moderator, it is a tool that really helps me 
bring groups into a process of dialogue. And so meetings need that. You're so right. It's such an interesting point that, you know, Q&A or or engagement technologies just generally ask for opinion and then share the split of the room of the opinion or one individual's opinion. And actually what events are about is imparting new information. So we should be changing those opinions, shouldn't we, throughout that event? Or hopefully maybe even not not changing, but but reinforcing the opinion. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because we've never and, really and, got a sense. And, and, and finding, um, uh, in some cases, finding common ground mm. um, just by uh, kind of uh, scratching the surface, searching, digging deeper and then seeing. Because and it is a very hard time to come with a tool like this, because when I look at the world at the moment, we are uh, very uh, pro and con, black and white. You are either pro vaccination or against it. And, and the, 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 the gray areas have, have become, they're going extinct. It's all black and white. And I, I would really love to help groups go back to uh, uh, dive into the gray area. Yeah. Where, where do we kind of touch each other's viewpoints and where don't we? Yeah, and the, it, new, it, the new answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, 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 it will bring us better decisions in the end. I'm 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 convinced of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because what might be black or white now, something might affect that and change that, so it becomes the total opposite in the near future. So, I, I, you know, nothing's ever nothing's ever hard and fast. And I think when it comes to groups of people, especially coming around to around events with ideas, yeah. as in, as an attendee, we have the opportunity to see the world through however many other attendees eyes are in that room you know everybody's experiencing the world differently everybody's in a slightly different place they have different you know a different backstory that's brought them to their opinions there and then so if we're not open to that um or at least as an event organizer if we don't try and leverage that um opportunity then we're probably leaving a lot on the table in terms of value when it comes to an event, right? We're not really uncovering all those little, you know, gray areas, like you said. No, and and, and what you often see is that, uh, uh, for instance, polling or word clouds or whatever engagement tools that are out there, um, they are used sort of as a gimmick. You have people vote and that's it. And... I think that if you use them wisely, you first have people talk to each other or interact in a different way and have a vote as a result of that. Mm. Or you have a vote or a poll or whatever, and then you discuss the outcome because there it becomes interesting. The the fact in itself, um, we have 42% of the people saying this is not interesting. The interesting question is why? Yeah. And how and how does that relate? How do the forty-two percent of the people relate to the only sixteen percent of the people that said the opposite? Where, where where is the relationship? Where can they learn from each other? Um, th- that's that's the interesting thing. And and honestly, if I see how uh, event technology and uh, engagement technology in general is used, it is kind of an insult. I'm, I'm I'm throwing myself in a tantrum here. <laughs> it's, it's kind of an insult to both the par- participants and the developers of uh, of the tool. 
I mean, if you use, I've, I've mentioned Slido before. If, if you use Slido, which many people do, and you only use it as a quick gimmick, not integrating it with the rest of your meeting, it is an insult to the people who first built Slido. And it is an insult to your participants. Um, and and you, I, I can give you one example. I was in a meeting, not as a moderator, but as a participant. Mm-hmm. And they had, uh, uh, I think, Mentimeter. And there was this counter, how many people send in an answer. And we were there with 200 people. And with the first poll, 180 people responded. And then they did nothing with the outcome. And in the second poll, only 120 people responded. And again, they did nothing with the outcome. Mm-hmm. And in round three, there were only 32 people responding. And that, that should come, not come as a surprise. I mean, if I ask you something and then you answer me and I say, okay, and I walk <laughs> away, it, it's kind of <laughs> stupid, right? It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. We would we would never do that in a in a situation where we were sat with a group of people or having a conversation like we are now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if we did, it'd become very very short, very quickly, yeah. wouldn't it? That the, yeah. the, the what's missing there is the exchange of value, isn't it? Like the the attendees giving their time and their thought and they're, they're offering up their opinion. But like you say, it's hitting a it's hitting a blank wall. There's there's nothing. There's no feedback, is there? There. There's nothing coming back the other and, way. And I mean, uh, uh, the same comparison goes for, uh, for instance, the networking tools. Mm. Um, um, uh, a while back, I, I I tried Twine, and I really like it, and it it's it's it works perfectly uh, from a technological standpoint, but also from a networking standpoint. But it is not enough just to throw in Twine at. 3.30 in the afternoon. Hey, we had a great meeting and now twine. Okay, why? Um, there should be context there. There should be, okay, we have been talking to each other about a lot of stuff. So now uh, we would like to do a quick meeting with people if to, to see and find if you can someone to, um, um, to talk about this some more after the conference. Mm-hmm. Then there is a reason for going into the networking uh, uh, tool. But what we see a lot is that they, we just throw it in. There needs to be networking. Okay, um, we'll just plan it just before lunch. <laughs> hey, and listen, then- I think even we've been guilty, guilty of that ourselves, trying to work out the, 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 the best model and, and um, the, the, the best ways to do things. But you yeah, are right, I think. It, it, you it's know. all about context. It is mm-hmm. why do we do what we do at this point during the conference or the trade show or whatever? And... Um, you should help people. I mean, everybody hates, almost everybody hates being pushed into a room with 200 other people. And then you tell them, go networking. And then you're yeah. there with your beer or your or your cola. And you're just, okay, I don't know anybody. Um, people do not like that. On the other hand, people do also not like it to be forced into a conversation with somebody without knowing why. JJ, Adam, talk to each other. Okay, why do I need to talk to Adam? <laughs> you need context. You need mm-hmm. to know why. And we need to help people uh, 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 ease into the networking or ease into the discussion or ease into anything. Um, so Maybe. if you use tools for whatever, help people understand why you're using them and how to use it. I think you're really, I think you're very right. And, and to Twang's, um, 
to Twine's credit, what they do actually try and encourage is the use of proposed questions. Yeah, but that's that's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And 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 me as a moderator, there should be a build-up if I know that we will do uh, two proposed questions in Twine. There needs to be a build-up in in uh, uh, coming from the speaker or from the interaction format that we do uh, before that. That kind of builds up to. Ah, now it would be interesting to be able to talk to a few people about two questions. Mm. Because the option is brilliant, but even just throwing two proposed questions at you um, still does not make it brilliant because it needs to have context. Um, and, and what we need to learn as, as meeting designers and as moderators is to look at tools and then um know how to use them not just throw them in use them purposefully and the other way around if you want something first decide for yourself what it is that you want and then start looking for the tool that will do exactly that um so then it all becomes more coherent and effective um uh, one, one example, if I may, uh, Adam, um, there, there's now there's these uh, online uh, exhibition spaces. And uh, I love them where you walk around and you are a camera. And when we get closer to each other, um, uh, we, we, there, uh, there's a link to open and we can talk to each other, etc. What I don't understand is um, the not using the technology to the max because then I have this list. And I'm somewhere here in the exhibition space and I want to talk to you. So I look in the list and I see that you're there. Hey, Adam is here. And then I need to start walking around looking for you digitally. Why, why don't you make it possible that I click on your name? And as soon as I click on your name, I'm transferred to the exact spot on the exhibition floor where you are. Hey, Adam. JJ, where did you come from? Well, <laughs> they hyperlinks me to you. <laughs> I think I think you're right. Even even not necessarily having to jump there, but maybe just the old FaceTime call. You know, it initiates it. Say, hey, we're actually at the same event. Shall we? Shall yeah. we? Shall we catch up? Shall we meet up um, yeah. and stuff there, like there, that? There is, on a digital exhibition floor, there is no purpose, no point in having me walk around not knowing where I am. Um, I had one and they had this 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 map and I wanted to go to a session and on the map I could see where the session was. But then I had to walk all through the venue digitally to that session and I got lost, obviously. So uh, because I took a right where I should have turned left and then I was late for the session because digitally I got lost. Um, please let me click on the session and transfer me into the session room. So all of those 3D virtual environment platforms that are kind of listening to this or watching this back on replay, JJ wants you to be able to teleport him directly there. Um, yeah, please before do. We, before we move on, JJ, we have, I want to make sure that I get this right. So I think this is Nardos Abraham. So she agrees yeah. that this conversation is something that she's had many times with her clients and, you know, really important to keep them as part of this discussion and engaged during... Um, the session, especially with the distractions available nowadays. And she's absolutely right, isn't she? You know, the distracts, distractions from a for a virtual attendee are even more so. Even in a physical world, like you mentioned, you know, 
a reduced engagement to polls and questions generally means that actually that person has used that technology for far too long and they thought, hey, do you know what? I'm going to check Twitter and LinkedIn and my emails. Oh, no, I need to respond to, I need to, respond to Adam now because he's asked me a question on email. And all of a sudden, the attention from the content and the speaker in the session has, has totally disappeared, right? And it's quite, I mean, if you have a physical room of people and they're all on their mobiles, um, not doing the polls, but doing other stuff, the conclusion is quite simple. You're not interesting enough to them. Mm. Um, and online, that's even a bigger problem because when you're not interesting enough, I mean, in a room full of people standing up and then going, sorry, can I pass, can I pass, it's kind of awkward. So probably you will remain seated. Uh, whereas online, you will just click away. Um, sure. But it, it's a misunderstanding that if people don't, do not leave the room in a physical event, that they are connected. No, many of them will be on their phone doing other stuff. Um, so um, we should be, make sure that people are connected and are engaged. That will give, get, uh, keep them engaged with you for a longer period of time. And at the same time, if they're not engaged, we should allow them to leave the room or leave the meeting to do more important stuff. I think that's a really interesting question. We might have to bring you back on to answer that. It's like, just because your attendees are there physically, are they there mentally? Yeah. Are we, are we yeah. doing enough to keep them in the room within their mind? Um, yeah. JJ, thank you for coming on today. Uh, that's been a, it's been so insightful for me, and and a, you know a good reminder of some of the key key principles of keeping people engaged and using technology in a designed way, not just necessarily throwing it into the mix because it's there. Yes. Um, one question I am posing to everybody right now, um, on a personal level, I'd love to know this about you: is is there any technology, software, an app? a Chrome plugin, anything that's helping you or that you found useful over the last 12 months. And this, this doesn't have to be event technology. Um, this can be something as simple as a, a password manager, a, a video clipper. Uh, wow. I'm, I, I really believe there's this hidden technology stack within the events industry of all these little things that aren't event technology, but actually help us do our jobs as individuals, as business people and things like that. Um, I'm going to mention, I'll, I'll start off because it'll help give you a little bit more time to think about it. But <laughs> one of the ones that I've mentioned on the, the last couple of episodes, and I'll mention it again, is a system called Tidy Tags. Now, LinkedIn is a wealth of connection and value, but actually in some ways it's, it makes it really hard to group those connections in meaningful ways, doesn't it? It's like they're just a, it's just a list of connections and you can filter by company name and region and that kind of stuff. I wanted much more control over that. And I found tidy tags to essentially be able to, in my LinkedIn, I can tag you as a professional speaker, as a moderator, as an event technology supplier. And then within their platform, I can actually then filter my entire connections by those tags. So then I can, if I'm working on a project of say, hey, I need a moderator for my event, I know to go to JJ and speak to him first. And I find it really easy to, to, to kind of connect up there. So is there anything like that that you've been using? It could even be a piece of hardware, but is there anything that you've been using that has helped you kind of do what you do over the last 12 months? And if the answer is no, that's fine as well. <laughs> I'm kind of afraid that the answer is no. Uh, I'm not a very heavy tech user. Um, I, I always tried to, my first, 
I try to do it analog first. And if that doesn't work, then I turn to tech. Same goes for uh, engagement tools, by the way. Um, um, I know they're important and, and they bring a, a lot of extra value. But if I don't need that extra value, I will just turn to the an analog. Can I see a raise of hands, please? Um, no, I think that the, the most important uh, thing for me is one app. Uh, uh, it's a Dutch app. It's bold.com. Um, which is uh, you can you can find anything there, and since life is very um, uh, very busy at the moment, uh, it, it's brilliant because I can order anything within three seconds, and then they bring it to my home. So that is really really brilliant. <laughs> I love that, Bolt.com. I that's the but I love that because that's you know as somebody who's obviously clearly you know super busy. That. Tools like that, technology like that, can now make us more efficient. Where we, there is there is a caveat to that, though. I am a big believer in getting out of the house um, because I think we spend at the moment we're spending a little bit too much time, kind of yeah. in, in in four walls. Yeah. Um, JJ, and finally, before we wrap up today, for anybody listening or watching um, this podcast on demand, where can they go and find out more about Masters of Moderation and, and Consent IQ? Where's the best places to go? Uh, best place to go would be uh, online, uh, mastersinmoderation.com. Uh, uh, IQ is on the website too, because it's it's part of us. They, they should go there. Um, what might be interesting is that I've, I've written a number of uh, articles uh, that all touch on uh, what we discussed here today. Um, it will give you a list. I wrote it this morning because I knew I was going to this interview with you. I wrote a, an article this morning about um, uh, what are the rules for good use of, uh, of engagement technology. Uh, so read. And if they want to reach out to me, um, um, simply send an email at uh, uh, jan at mastersinmoderation.com. And if that's too complicated, uh, just send it to info at mastersinmoderation.com and start with, hey, JJ, and then we will know it is for me, that uh, that email. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, send the article link over to me, mate, and we'll put it in the show notes as yeah. well, and we'll share that with everybody so they'll be able to kind of link through to that and click on that. Thank you very much for coming on today. And for everybody that's tuned in or watching this on or listening to this on demand, thank you for joining us and we'll see you in the next episode.